0: You're listening to the Fuck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I can't say I'm surprised because I've been predicting it for how many months now? How many times have I told you that people out there who mask up do this for reasons that have either nothing to do with epidemiology, it's political, or they are suffering from an anxiety disorder? And I mean that. They need help. They have some problem that would require professional attention at this point we're going to break this down for you today I think it's important that everyone understands this because it's not just going away and there are critical lessons about freedom and about our society and about the authoritarian left in all of this this is a symbol but it is also a central fight it's about more than just having to wear a stupid and often useless cloth over your face friends it's about more than that So for those who are saying, oh, but what about these other we cover every topic here that I think we need to day in and day out. I'm not done with masks yet. They're not done with you. That's where we are. Also want to do everything I can to help small businesses across the country. And when running a business, you know that H.R. issues can kill you. You got wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. An HR manager's salaries aren't cheap. You're talking about an average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance, all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat, from onboarding to they custom your policies to fit your business, and they help you manage your employees day to day. And they do all of this for just $99 a month. A huge savings over having a full-time staffer on this one. Go to Bambi.com slash buck right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash buck. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, Bambi.com slash buck right now. The forever maskers are among us. You're seeing them now outside. You're seeing them inside. You're seeing them all over the place. Some of us were, were rejoicing when the change in policy came from the CDC. As I said to you from the very beginning, I feel like somebody who was imprisoned on false charges. Very hard to feel grateful when you were let out of that prison. But I at least recognized it as a step forward. I at least recognize that this was something that needed to happen. But for many, many people, millions of them who watch too much CNN and MSNBC, who believe everything they read in the pages, The New York Times and The Washington Post, for those people, this creates a dilemma. Do I continue to show how seriously I take the virus? Or do I allow for people to think that maybe I'm a conservative because I don't have a mask on? This is the big concern that they have. But remember, the CDC itself is a place that is not impressive, has failed us at every stage of this, has gotten everything wrong when it needed to get it right. Maybe they figured it out eventually. And CDC Chief Walensky is a joke. Here she is coming out. For months, what was I arguing? What were many of us arguing? That if you believe in the vaccines, if you think the vaccines are as effective as we're told and you want to use vaccines as the primary tool to end this pandemic, you can't then turn around and tell people, but you have to keep living your life as though you're not vaccinated because we're all so scared. That doesn't work. There's a cognitive dissonance there. And it also doesn't create the incentives that you need for people to want to go through the hassle and possible. There are always risks. It doesn't make you an anti-vaxxer. There are always risks for any vaccine, for any drug. There are risks for taking Tylenol, I've been saying for a long time. I saw a Fox News host said the same thing recently. I've been saying it for months. Risks from all kinds of stuff out there. But it should be up to you to make determinations about what health risks you want to take. Back to Rochelle Walensky. Here she is on the new mask guidance over the weekend on Sunday because this looks political. Now, it's not political insofar as they made a determination that it'll be good for the Democrats if they... No, no, no. That's maybe a, a, a part of it. It's political insofar as they recognized that they were looking like idiots and they were losing their grip on power. And so unless they loosened the slack a little bit around our necks or our faces, as the case may be, uh, then they were just going to have people that were non-complying anyway. And once you have people recognizing that they can ignore the CDC and it's fine, then they ignore everything that the CDC is trying to do. So they, they had to adjust a little bit here. But Rochelle Walensky of the CDC coming out, coming out now with the, oh, don't worry. This is just because the science evolved. Play one.
2: First of all, let's celebrate this moment. Um, We're at a place in this pandemic. Cases have been coming down um, more than a third just in the last two weeks. We have vaccine now across this country, widely available for anyone who wants it. And we now have science that has really just evolved even in the last two weeks that demonstrates that these vaccines are safe, they are effective, they are working in the population just as they did in the clinical trials, that they are working against our variants that we have here circulating in the United States and that if you were to develop an infection even if you got vaccinated, that you can't transmit that infection to other people. Some of that science was really evolving as late as last Thursday. And one of the published one of the papers, the largest paper was published from the CDC just the day before yesterday. So we were actively reviewing that science during the past week. We were making decisions and moving, moving and our subject matter experts were working just as I was testifying in front of Congress. And those that was what was happening.
1: Bull crap. Call it like it is, folks, bullcrap, no blanking way. This is not what happened. They didn't learn this in the last week or two. Everything she said has been known for months. The efficacy, the safety, the, the uh, stopping transmission, this has all been known for months. But they said, oh, this is about saving lives So we have to take it to the absolute max. We need total herd immunity before you can actually stop wearing masks. And then people said, well, hold on a second. Look at what you've done now. Aren't you saying that there is some acceptable risk in society? That there is a balance here between freedom, between individual liberties and just comfort and the right to breathe normally and the risk to society at large? Oh, you mean that there was a balance that had to be struck here? But you pretended there wasn't for over 15 months because that's what's actually happened. They've been lying to you. This is all part of a giant misdirection, all part of an enormous dishonesty, which is that the science has been directing all of this when really it's just people who call themselves scientists and then all their flax in the media making decisions for you that involve judgment and competing values. And they made many of the wrong ones and they struck the wrong balance and it didn't save us. And now we're seeing the end results of this. Now it's quite clear. But if you needed any more evidence and I I even see some some people that were mocking those of us who called mask wearing a religion, people that were deriding as anti-science, those of us who said this is about much more. If it's about science at all, it's only a portion of it. Now they're seeing people who are straight up admitting I was right. You who listen to this show were right. The mask shaming lunatics running around were wrong. Their side has been gripped by a kind of mass hysteria and mental illness around this issue. This is why you can see, for example, the mayor of Chicago who is vaccinated? Lori Lightfoot, who doesn't quite clearly does not listen to the science at the CDC. She's like, well, I'm just going to keep wearing a mask. Play seven.
3: You say you will follow the CDC's guidance. What does that mean? Should people in Chicago w- wear masks or not?
4: Well, I think we've got to get some clarification from the CDC. Um, they roll out, obviously, as the reporting has been was a bit abrupt. Um, and I think they've got a lot of clarification that they need to do. Um, I know for me personally, I'm going to continue to wear a mask in public and I'm going to encourage others to do so. Um, we've got to make sure uh, that people are continuing to follow the public health guidance that has gotten us this far. And masks, I think, are a big and important part of that. To say, well, if you're if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. That's great. But what about all the other people that are out there that aren't vaccinated? And there's no way to know that. So I think for the time being, most people are going to continue to wear masks um, outside and outside of their homes. And I think that's smart.
1: She's telling people to follow the public health guidance while she herself is defying the public health guidance. This is this is why. It's a mental illness for the libs that the brain circuitry is not functioning properly here. What does she not see? What does she not understand? And she's one of millions. She's one of so many out there who, who can't process this. Ah, but that's a very important point. When Democrats have. Force on their side, when they have the state on their side, it's just the raw exercise of power. Do it because that's what they say. Do what we tell you because you must or else no explanation, no justification. That's been their approach to everything in the covid pandemic all along. Oh, we can make you do it. We're going to make you do it. Shut up. Put that mask on. Double mask. Okay. And then when they don't have the force of the state, they rely on process oh we respect the system and we respect the decisions made by the cdc but we just need more clarification we need more time to implement we need see this is how leftists do it the relativism of having no principles allows them complete leeway to change it as they see fit when the force of the state is on their side it is do it or else when they can no longer rely on the force of the state and in fact it's going in the opposite direction they say, hold on a second. We need more time. Let's think this through. Let's have a review. Let's call a meeting. Delaying that which they do not agree with and ramming through the instant that they think they can get away with it, whatever they want. This is true on masks. It's true on everything that the left deals with when it comes to government.
5: The CDC actually said this decision is based on science. It's based on studies that show if you are vaccinated, you are very unlikely to get sick, and that even if you get some kind of a breakthrough infection, the studies seem to be showing you are not likely in any way to pass the virus on to others. Why isn't that good enough?
3: Because it's not. It's a couple of small studies that they looked at. It's also the fact that, as in the lead up you mentioned, it's very confusing for people. We have questions right now from our patients, from our families, uh, from their families, from friends. And I can see why it's confusing. We have spent so long trying to redevelop the trust that people have with their government entities about what's right and what's now not right. And we're not out of the woods in this yet. Less than 37 percent of us are fully vaccinated We still have over 35,000 cases a day, over 600 deaths a day. And this is not the time to be keeping your nurses, your other frontline workers, your essential workers at risk. And we don't like making them. They've been the mask police. Now they're having to be the vaccine police. They don't want that.
1: Wait a second. I, I thought that we were to listen to the science. I thought the CDC was like the god of virology. And we all had to worship at the altar. Hold on a second. Now, now you got the president of the National Nurses United Union, Gene Ross, just saying, you know, they're not very good studies, and you know, I think there's more. And you know, well, hold on a second. What do you mean? Uh, explain this to me. You know more than the CDC, union boss, nurse lady, really? Okay. I think that's interesting. Now, I thought the CDC was a, was a bunch of clowns all along, but I haven't been telling everybody that you can't even question it. Now, the people that all along were saying you qu- can't question the CDC are like, yeah, I'm going to question it a little bit. Eh, I got some ideas of my own on this one. I'm sorry. Um, what, what does getting rid of a mask mandate indoors? I mean, yeah, if you want to have a mask mandate in the hospital still, I'm sure a lot of people would say, okay, fine. Oh, by, by having people not have to wear a mask when they get their groceries? That's that putting people so much more at risk. Shut up. So dumb, isn't it? But this is a I've told you it's an ideological movement. Masking is an ideological movement. It is part of the Marxist authoritarian left. That's what has happened here. It has merged into it. Don't you see? Mass mobilization, classic Alinsky. Get people united, get them moving on one issue. You can use them for any issue. Everybody mask up. Everybody trust the signs. Let's push the Green New Deal now. That's how this works. Use the mob mentality, create visual signifiers. This is why I care about this so much. For those of you who keep saying, oh book, enough with the mask. What? I'm gonna sit here and talk more about all Liz Cheney and the leadership fight. Come on. This matters. This is a central fight in our society. This is not a minor thing at all because of what it involves, what it has done. You care about the Republican Party? We lost the election because of Fauciism and the lockdowners. They used this to to beat Trump. That is what happened. So, yeah, it matters a whole heck of a lot. Here's an example of what I'm talking about with the religious belief part of this this is the New York Times I just got to read you some of this article I mean it is it is truly remarkable when when you start to look at what is being said here what is going on here um, It's it's crazy New York Times piece here's what it says whenever Joe Glickman heads out for groceries he places an N95 mask over his face and tugs a cloth mask on top of it Okay, so (laughs) he's a double masker. He then puts on a pair of goggles. He has used this safety protocol for the past 14 months. It did not change after he contracted the coronavirus last November. It didn't budge when earlier this month he became fully vaccinated. And even though President Biden said on Thursday that fully vaccinated people, do not have to wear a mask. Mr. Glickman said he planned to stay the course. In fact, he said he plans to do his grocery run double masked and goggled for at least the next five years. Bingo, folks, what have I told you all along? Mass hysteria, mental illness. This has broken people. They have PTSD and they've They've taken their neuroses like a club and been beating you and me over the head with it for over a year. Total lunacy, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. That's what this is. The title of the piece is they're vaccinated and keeping their masks on maybe forever. I wrote a piece about forever masking and forever lockdown on bucksexon.com. What, four months ago now, five months ago now? All kind. And, and oh, I got fact check. It's not true. No one's saying they're going to mask forever. Brup, 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 brup. Yeah, they are. Of course they are. Can I just note also that in this piece to give you a sense of how little people actually can think for themselves and use their critical faculties, this guy double masks and this has been his safety protocol, according to this piece, all along. And wears goggles, which I told you the virus can get an aerosolized virus can get in your eyes, too. So there's a whole other part of this here that They've never really been able to test how much that happens. They don't know, but I told. As they said at one point maybe you should think about goggles. And they're like, okay, maybe that's too crazy, not for everybody. This guy did this, and he got COVID. Anyway, during the big wave in in the winter time. So so how how could you be going through this every day? You still get sick, but you think. That this is necessary to protect you from the next time you could get sick from the same virus, which you probably can't even get because of your natural immunity. And then you are very unlikely to get because of your vaccinated immunity. In addition to that, someone explain the thinking here. Ah, this was always about something else this was always about more those of you that are worried about the rising tide of marxism critical race theory far left authoritarianism in all institutions of our government and in just every aspect of our civic uh, civil society and civic life uh, the whole masking thing you understand this was the maga hat of the left but you are forced to put it on don't you see imagine if there was a rule, a regulation nationwide that said everyone has to wear a red MAGA hat. Liberals would completely lose their minds more than they already have. They pretended that it was all about science, but that's actually what in large part they did with these mask mandates. Bend the knee to Fauciism and the left and the state.
4: It is an amazing thing. I mean, I will just tell you at a personal level, I'm sorry for t- speaking of all that in such personal terms with the, with Dr. Walensky, but when I was talking to people today about this new guidance and what to ask her, everybody had very personal feelings about it, and I realized I did too And all these questions. Part of it is that I feel like I'm going to have to rewire myself so that when I see somebody out in the world who's not wearing a mask, I don't instantly think you are a threat <laughs> or you are selfish or you are a COVID denier and you definitely haven't been vaccinated. I mean, we're going to have to rewire the- the way that we look at each other, because the CDC's guidance, which she just told me we are sure, is that if you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask except in very specific circumstances. And so that means as we change that as a country, we are going to look at each other differently and have to unwire our preconceptions about what a mask or a lack of a mask means.
1: Lack of a mask meant to Rachel Maddow, the MSNBC audience and Biden voters and leftists across America Lack of a mask meant you were a bad person who was dangerous and you wanted to kill grandma. She's telling you this on national TV. That's actually what she has thought all this time. I have not been exaggerating. I have not been, you know, pushing it beyond where the facts are. This is what the left has believed. It has been used as a tool not only of manipulation and subjugation, but condemnation. If you did not do this, you were a bad person. If you weren't someone who was willing to go along with the constantly shifting, oh, this is what we think now. Oh, this is what we think then. Oh, this is what we think next. From Fauci and the other idiots at the CDC. Fauci's a moron. You know, now he's going on MSNBC. He's like, oh, what we really saw here was all the racism of the pandemic. You know, he's actually saying that stuff. He's been auditioning for his own show at MSNBC for the last year. That's what this guy really has been doing in love with the fame and all the plaudits, all, all the praise from leftists all across America, the fancy elites, you know, Fauci saved us. What did Fauci save us from exactly? What was the upside of all this? None of it is demonstrable. You've noticed that they've switched now to, oh, we didn't have any flu, so clearly all of this works. Uh, part, of the, part of the way the seasonal flu works is that you have people traveling all over the world, spreading it. It usually starts in China and then you have global travel and it moves all over the world. So uh, certainly a large percentage of this, and there are other ideas and theories we can talk about as well, a large percentage of this is that you did not have the global travel that actually spreads the seasonal flu, but you already had COVID spread all over the world. It was already endemic in many populations. That's one reason why you had such a difference. But if it works, so notice the way they shift. Notice the way they, they, uh, you know, all of a sudden they hide the football. You say, wait a second. Why are we talking about how well the measures worked against the flu? They were supposed to work against COVID and they didn't work at all, folks. That's what we see in all the data. Lockdowns were a failure. California, Florida, side by side, look at them. One with an extreme lockdown, one with a very minimal lockdown, if any at all, really. What, you're you're going to tell me that, that this works? What, what are you talking about? You're, so you're going to lock down your society. You're going to destroy millions of jobs and businesses for what you think might be a margin of error or difference in the spread of this virus. That's called hysteria. That's called moral and intellectual cowardice, which was everywhere during this. Absolutely everywhere. But I think it's so important for you to all remember what Rachel Maddow is saying here, which is she's telling her audience because that this is she knows who she's talking to people who live on the Upper West Side and in Brooklyn and in Santa Monica and in Northwest D.C., she's telling them all. I, it's going to be tough for me to start thinking about people without masks on as something other than horrible and reckless and anti-science, because this was political tribalism and what I told you about it the whole time was true. And now we're going to see that there will be movements to continue this. The federal government, uh, Joe Biden, for example, they're going to say that you have to do this on you know trains, planes, buses, etc. for the foreseeable if you're crossing any kind of state line, state boundary. So the federal government's still going to mandate this. Um, we have to we have to deal with the stats, the reality, because they'll seize the narrative. This is what the left does, like the little Bolsheviks they are. They will rewrite history. And they'll pretend that that there was great success, great success from the masks and lockdowns of 2020 and 2021. And it was only those Trump voting science deniers that made the virus keep spreading this. I'm telling you, this is what they're going to do. And they're going to try to bring all this back. They thought a, a fully compliant and terrified society was a brilliant thing for achieving the Marxist utopia that they believe in, And they got close. They felt like, oh, wait, we almost had everyone just bend the knee and do what we said. Stay in your home. Don't go to your business. Do this, do that. You can't breathe. You have to have an obstruction between your mouth and fresh air, indoors, outdoors. That's what they got away with. And they want to do it again. If you don't think they're trying to bring all of this back, by leaving some of it in the background right now, if you don't think they're going to try to bring all these mitigation measures back for the winter season, you aren't paying attention. You don't really see what they're trying to do here and what they're trying to establish. it's, It's essential, absolutely essential, that we continue on this fight and say, no, not only are you morons, obviously, on the left, Completely deranged with your open mask forever. Now we take the fight to them and say, this did nothing. There's a reason why we didn't do this every year for the flu. There's a reason why we it didn't work as a policy. It did not function the way it was promised to function. Because that was the way they got us all to do it. Oh, it'll have a 70% reduction in cases, it'll work so well. Bull crap but we forgot we forgot basic things we knew in all of this and we abandoned common sense and reason because we were told to and because people were scared this country needs to get in touch with its desire for freedom again and that's going to require a repudiation of the lies and the nonsense uh, about lockdowns about masking about all of this and i'm sorry i i have been focused on this all along. I'm actually not sorry. And I'm going to continue to focus on it insofar as we're never going back to this. I and mean, we're going to have to consider pretty extreme measures to prevent the lunatics. We see their lunatics now. I'm going to keep asking, even if I'm vaccinated, they're crazy. I was saying all along they're crazy. I'm telling you they're nuts. But now we really have the proof. Now anybody with their eyes open is saying, oh, my God, these people are really nuts because they are. It's a mental disorder. They've actually had this is they've created a mass hysteria. And I mean that as a mass mental illness because of an actual viral illness. That's what's happened here. Pandemic PTSD of millions and millions of people across the country. who have it. One function of PTSD is people can't deal with and and, and handle uh, necessarily the actual concerns and the judgment necessary to understand whether you can put this into perspective or not, right? If you have BDSD about a a driving accident, let's say, which people can get, you're probably not the person who should be making highway safety standards, right? That's what's happened here. The most most, uh, neurologically challenged by the pandemic have become the people that are making the determinations about federal policy on it. And they want to keep doing it, and they're really upset. It doesn't compute. What do you mean? that we don't have forever lockdown. What do you mean that we don't have forever masking? Scary. I'm actually, I'll tell you this. I've been really concerned about how absurd and what a bunch of belligerent sheep the American people will, at least half of them, turn into under the right conditions. I've been telling you this. This is a Milgram experiment. This is the authorities are saying, electrocute people because it's good for them or because we tell you to, and millions of Americans do it. They do it. This is why I had a friend up in Vermont texting me that he saw a, soc- a beautiful day. He, had a, he said there was a youth soccer game going on near his house. And he texted me, he said, Bucky, you won't believe it. Uh, they're, they're all the parents pretty much. I mean, he said a few exceptions, but the parents are all on the sidelines, the coaches, oh, in the open air, they're all unmasked. The children are running around playing soccer, Exerting themselves, you know, 12 year olds or whatever, running around with masks on their faces. This is child abuse. These Fauci worshiping morons are abusing children because they can't understand normal risk parameters and what is reasonable and what is not. They have embraced the unreasonable and want to force it on all of you. And that's why I sit here and say, I don't just want mask mandates gone. I want anti-mask mandates as in i want red states to say it is it is illegal for public safety reasons to wear a covering on your face outside unless you need it imminently for a job so construction or things where a mask is actually necessary and helps you know dust and things like that you know unless you have a unless you have an excuse like that Mm-mm. sorry public health public safety gotta see who you are can't have you evading those surveillance cameras can't have you uh able to go into a bank and rob it because you got your little double mask on and we don't get to know who's who. Mm -mm. I want anti-mask mandates now. You'd say the mask is on the other foot.
0: Our country's experience with COVID-19 has not only upended our own lives, but it has uncovered a stark reality and failing of our own society the unacceptable disparities in health experienced by minority groups, especially African Americans, Hispanics, and Native Americans. Many members of minority groups have a much greater risk of COVID-19, often because of the nature of the jobs that many of them have as essential workers in society. More importantly, when people of color get infected with SARS-CoV-2, they more likely will develop a severe consequence of the infection. And this is because minorities in general have a greater incidence and prevalence of underlying comorbid medical conditions, including hypertension, chronic lung disease, diabetes, and obesity, that lead to a multifold increase in hospitalizations and deaths.
1: Fauci here, making sure that we all transition our thinking on this COVID issue to There's so much racism that COVID has exposed. That's what he is telling us. There's so much racism. Notice, though, that's from the address he gave a commencement, a virtual because of, you know, mitigation. You can't actually be in person for the virtual. You know, you got to do a virtual address. But he's saying that uh, minority communities, Native American, Hispanic and African-American had uh, that there are racial disparities that have been uncovered by all this. But he also says that it is a function of disproportionate comorbidities and the comorbidities that he's bringing up are things like obesity, lung disease, from smoking, things like that. Now, I, you know, I, I wonder what what he thinks. The answer to the racism of lung disease and comorbidities, he lays it out, is in, in our society. What are we supposed to do about those things? Is this a an excuse for a nanny state that tells people how many calories they can eat, what, how much sugar they can ingest, whether they're allowed to personally smoke or not, period, as, as a, a health matter. Do we want prohibition of Marlboros like we have prohibition of other controlled substances? What exactly does Fauci want to tell us here? Disparate impact as a systemic injustice. You'll notice that this this logic does not hold up, right? There is a disparate impact, which I'll be talking to you about on this show today, a disparate impact of standardized tests on the Asian-American community. The Asian-American community has a disparate impact, meaning that in this case, as a function of their outperforming other groups on standardized tests, Asians disproportionately benefit from standardized testing. So does that mean that, that our tests are systemically racist in favor of Asian Americans. You can do this with any number of issues. You look at a group based on racial characteristics, you say, well, it doesn't line up exactly with the statistics that I would expect with other groups. So clearly it's the fault of the system. And you say, well, what does that mean? And is it the fault of the system when a group benefits overall, when a group does well in an area? Uh. Insider trading disproportionately affects uh, wealthy white guys. Does that mean that insider trading laws are racist against white guys? No, but it disproportionately affects them, doesn't it? You can see the logic here. You know, you look at different, uh, different, you know, different sports have different prevalence of one ethnic group or another. Does that mean that the sport is the sport itself is racist? No, it does not, right? But there are a whole lot of you know multifaceted factors, a whole lot of things you could bring into it. But notice, Fauci is a leftist, and so he boils down disparate uh, disparate outcomes from COVID to racism in society. When it would really be a whole lot of things like uh, regional and cultural approaches to diet and exercise and smoking and, you know, socioeconomic status and how that affects intake of alcohol and cigarettes, overall health. And we should absolutely have discussions about overall health and health disparities within different communities and how to address them. But screaming racism about them doesn't actually address anything. But Fauci knows that. But he's just singing the required tune, as he always does. This man is a little bureaucrat leftist. He's a mediocrity, submediocrity really. There's nothing impressive about him, and his tyrannical grip on the country only really comes to an end when we repudiate him for the little fascist fraud that he is. He has created a tremendous amount of division and suffering with no benefit medically to point to for the country. I'm sorry, it does not exist. No one is alive because of Fauci today. A lot of people lost their jobs and their sanity because of Fauci. So, yes, maybe I am Ahab and Fauci is my tiny little white whale. But I'm not giving this up because the argument you see continues. The history is now being written and they will use it to justify more of this madness if we let them get away with it. A lot of you are just starting out, right? I know what this is like. You're buying your first homes. You're having babies, building wealth, and trying to secure your family's future. Well, part of that process needs to be establishing a will or trust. And the best place to do it is at trustandwill.com. At trustandwill.com, setting up an estate plan is simple, convenient, and secure. For as little as $39, you can nominate guardians for your children, determine who gets your stuff, and plan for future medical care all from the comfort of your home. Hiring a traditional estate attorney can cost thousands, and using a one-size-fits-all template is not nearly specialized enough. And with live customer service seven days a week, though, TrustAndWill.com's team is available to answer any questions while setting up your plan customized to you and your needs. Gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com/buck. That's right, trustandwill.com/buck. You'll get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. I've been on the site and gone through the process. It's so easy. Once you set it up, you'll see this is something you got to do. You know, I know this week is tax week and you're thinking about getting things off your plate. Get this taken off your plate and take 10% off when you go to trustandwill.com/buck don't wait go right now it's important to get this one done and secure your family's future go to slash buck a space force commander fired for talking about marxism penetrating the united states military isn't this fascinating you know what the problem they have with this is partisan activity from a active duty member wait a second I I didn't think that Marxism was something that the United States military was okay with I thought we could you know if he gave a speech about the downfalls or the or the the problems of jihadism in the United States military oh no that probably would be an issue too I'm sure they'd find that that's a violation of diversity and inclusion standards or something What ideologies are you not? Can you give a speech on how you don't like Nazism? Can you be anti-Nazism in the military and keep your job? Or is that a partisan thing? Well, apparently you can't be anti-Marxist and keep your job. I think that's this is one of the reasons why the left tried so hard to whitewash the horrors of Stalinism as well as the very clear connections between communism and national socialism. But that's another podcast for another time. But they try to pretend that Stalin was not a bloodthirsty mass murderer on a a completely just mind blowing scale is because hold on a second. You look at the history of Marxist regimes throughout the 20th century and you see Uh, Misery, failure, mass starvation, mass murder, torture, uh, rape and brutality of all kinds at the hands of the state. That's what you see. Meanwhile, in the academy, in uh, social media today, Hollywood, you have people that talk about Marxism as though it's kind of a, a cool alternative to the evil capitalism of America and the West. Sure. How can you get in trouble in the United States military for talking about? Marxism and how it's infiltrating the ranks because it has, and because the Democrats realize that not only are they penetrated by Marxism, uh, they are making common cause with it. They are using it. There are Marxists within the Democrat Party, just like there were communists that uh, infiltrated the Democrat. It was always Democrats that were pro commie. You go back in history, you see this. It was the Democrats who were the commies. And you look at Alger Hiss, you look at the people who were true Soviet agents during all of this. And it was, in fact, Democrats. OK, important for everyone to recognize that. Let me tell you this story. This is from military.com. A commander of a U.S. Space Force unit tasked with detecting ballistic missile launches has been fired for comments made during a podcast promoting his new book, which claims Marxist ideologies are becoming prevalent in the United States military. Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, commander of 11th Space Warning Squadron at Buckley Air Force Base, Colorado, was relieved from his post by Lieutenant General Stephen Whiting, the head of Space Operations Command, over a loss of confidence in his ability to lead. Military dot com has learned. Quote, this decision was based on public comments made by Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer, In a recent podcast, a Space Force spokesperson said in an email, Lieutenant General Whiting has initiated a command directed investigation on whether these comments constituted prohibited partisan political activity. Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's goal of conquest and the unmaking of the American military is the book title. And this guy got fired from his job for talking about this. Isn't that interesting? Let's just do a review here. Remember, some years ago, Lieutenant colonel uh, no, I'm sorry—I can't remember what his rank was. It might have been Captain Nadal Hassan, the the Fort Hood shooter. Uh, But remember, some years ago, when it came out that he had given numerous speeches in which he had defended jihadist suicide bombers and talked about jihad against the West, and no one did anything about it—that was okay. Right. That, and then, of course, later on, the guy ended up being a mass murderer of fellow service members, killing them in cold blood at close range in what was initially called by the Obama administration. And don't ever forget it. Workplace violence. That was their official designation of it. Workplace violence. Yeah, sure. The guy was in touch with Anwar al laki the terrorist mastermind from Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. But it was workplace violence, they said. Just like how recently a report came out where the uh, FBI and the DOJ finally called the attempted mass assassination of Republican conservative members of Congress by a Bernie Sanders supporter. Yeah, they finally called James Hodgkinson was his name. You don't really ever hear it, do you? Uh, They finally said that that was domestic terrorism. Yeah, you don't say. Before then, they were just calling it, I forget, they used some other designation for it to say that it was like a, you know, disgruntled person or something like that. I don't know. Because they hide the truth from you because they're engaged in propaganda. And they definitely don't want you to figure out that there is a Marxist wave. We can all see it. It's obvious. And you're going to see a slew of books about, you know, the Marxism that is coming and everything else because it's all over the place. It couldn't be any more clear. And here is one of the books, but this one focusing on the military. Um, Marxism in America is very real. And the reason I think it's important to call it Marxism instead of socialism is, is to understand the real roots of this and how division along racial instead of class lines is the primary method of separating us from one another, of undermining the history of this country and trying to take control of its future. Because in a very wealthy society like ours, Class warfare is effective, but it's not it's not effective enough to make people hate each other. And the purpose of the racial Marxists is to is to create divisions rooted in in disdain, in real vitriol in real nastiness and distrust of one another. You can do that with economic warfare. But the problem is the people at the top of this who are pushing the racial Marxism, the elites in this country don't want to get caught up in it. And they're very wealthy. So while there, there's some degree of hypocrisy, you, you know, you can have Nancy let them eat cake Pelosi talking about how much she cares about about, uh, you know, raising taxes and everything else. But that doesn't really that that doesn't one get her constituents that excited. And two, she's a rich old lady who lives in a mansion in San Francisco and is worth 50 million dollars. So, you know, people can eventually put two and two together. Ah, but the support of BLM, for instance, that really moves the needle on the left. That really gets people excited. And angry and you want them angry, even if you have to lie about cops, as they do, even if you have to tell lies about uh, how law enforcement is systemically and continuously murdering unarmed black men without consequence, which is the central lie of the BLM movement. But I mean, if you're wondering, has the United States military been taken over at some level by uh, Marxism and leftist dogma? Don't ever forget that back in February, General, I'm sorry, Secretary of Defense, former General Austin, Secretary of Defense, ordered all military services to have a one day stand on stand down to talk about extremism in the ranks. Uh, and as part of that, and Lohmeyer, the author of this book and the guy who just got fired, said he was given a book that cited the January 6th Capitol riot as extremism, but did not mention the civil disobedience and riots after george floyd gee that doesn't seem partisan at all does it yes you see the uh, the efforts to paint the january 6 riot as some serious insurrection instead of a bunch of bozos running into a building taking photos of themselves in the capitol uh the and i know that the american greatness has video where they say that some of the capitol police uh, were essentially waving in some people to say okay you can come in and look at stuff or whatever uh the way that they're doing this, the way they're framing this is to create a perception of the extremist enemy within, which transfers over into suppression efforts against Republicans, Trump supporters and conservatives. It's very obvious what they're doing. And I would just want to know while we're looking at Marxism in the military, which is a large federal government funded institution like many others where, yeah, it has an esprit de corps and a history that brings all Americans together and is is one of the few institutions in, a, in American public life that people have a real love and devotion to and want to support. But it's also a large federal bureaucracy and we know what happens to those over time. If you have enough leftists, enough Marxists, they seize control, they seize power and they take them over. They've done this largely within the DOJ. They've done this in the CIA, I can tell you that. They've done it in the intelligence community and they are in the process of doing it in the United States military as well. And that should make everybody very concerned and When you talk about it as a military member now, you can get fired. And we can all see that that's because they don't want the truth to come out because the people that believe this want it to they believe in Marxism. They want it to continue until it's too late. See, this is the game the left always plays. What what Marxism? There's no Marxism. There's no socialism. What are you talking about? And then eventually it's yeah, that's right. We were Marxists all along. What are you going to do about it now? We're in charge. We run things. Not only do we have all the bureaucrats, but now we've got a lot of guys with guns, too. That's the game they're playing, folks. Don't forget it. When you talk about him being dangerous uh, and, and the way
5: he's, he's leading the party, and I ask this about both McCarthy and, uh, and, and Elise Stefanik, are they being complicit in what you consider the Trump lies?
6: They are. And, and I'm, I'm not willing to do that. You know, I think that, that there are uh, some things that have to be bigger than party, that have to be bigger than partisanship. Our oath to the Constitution is one of those. Uh, I've seen countries, I've worked in countries around the world where you don't have a peaceful transition of power. What's happening right now with uh, uh, Donald Trump and, and his continued attacks on the Constitution and the rule of law is dangerous. And, and we all have an obligation to stand up against that.
1: What exactly is happening right now, Liz Cheney? I mean, she says this, and, and I know that she thinks the words coming out of her mouth are something to be proud of, and, and she should feel like she's doing a, a great service for the country. As I've said all along, I think this is just about Liz Cheney wanting, Liz Cheney wanting the old GOP back, the country club GOP, you know, where you lose, but you lose gracefully, and you never actually stand up for your base, and you don't take the fight to the other side, But, you know, maybe there's a foreign country you can invade and, you know, you beat up on those people and you allow the people in your own country to just get left high and dry, at least the ones who voted for you. I think she wants that old GOP to come back. But if she's going to continue to rail on the big lie, as they're calling it, I have to ask a question. And it's of Liz Cheney, but it's also of. So many other people. Is this the only big lie that has been told in American politics in recent years that would destroy a presidency or end a presidency or alter the course of American history. Where was Liz Cheney when for four years, this is not what about And this is about principle. This is about standards and consistency because this is the same kind of issue. Where was Liz Cheney for four years when The Democrat Party paid for opposition research, laundered it through the FBI and the intelligence apparatus of the United States government, spied on people associated with the Trump campaign illegally, manufactured evidence to do so, broke the law in the process, and then used that lie to get a special counsel investigation going. In order to throw as many people associated with the president in prison for process crimes as possible, lying under oath and not paying your taxes. Oh, gosh. Practically, you know, Hitler. Look at what they did. And here we are. Being told by Liz Cheney. That what's really going on here is that the Trump administration that doesn't even exist anymore is the big ongoing threat to our democracy. I just want to know where was she when they lied about the president of the United States for 4 years as a traitor, as a Russian asset, when they used the apparatus of the federal government to try to go after the president to undo the 2016 election, to imprison his children if they could get away with it. Where is Liz Cheney on the prosecutorial abuse? of even considering to bring state charges explicitly for political reasons against Trump and to use it as an end run, which they considered for months while he was still president, on federal pardon power. Where's Liz Cheney on all that? She's so principled. She's such a fighter for conservatism. Can you? I ask you this. Can you remember one time that she was standing alongside Jim Jordan, Devin Nunes. Any of the members of Congress who came forward to fight against the big lie, because that's what it was of Russia collusion. Can you remember a single solitary instance of Liz Cheney speaking out against that lie, which was explicitly and clearly meant to destroy the Trump presidency to, in effect, undo the 2016 election? And Hillary Clinton went with it. Nancy Pelosi agreed with it. They were calling Trump an illegitimate president for four years. They used the federal government. The top members of the Democrat Party used the federal government as a weapon against the administration that was supposed to be in charge of the federal government. And where was Liz Cheney? Oh, oh, oh. She only fights now because people got rowdy during a protest and some rioted and some took selfies inside the Capitol building. Oh gosh, what a threat to the continuation of our government. Give me a break. But here she is standing, standing just so high on her high horse, 18. 18.
6: It's indefensible. I will never forget seeing the law enforcement officers, the members of the SWAT team, the rapid response forces, seeing them in their exhaustion, and they'd been through hand-to-hand combat, and and you know people died, and the notion that this it just it, you know the notion that this was somehow a tourist event. Um, is disgraceful and despicable and uh you know i won't be part of of whitewashing what happened on january 6th nobody should be part of it and people ought to be held accountable
1: i mean what a little psycho honestly let's 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 unpack what she just said maybe actually maybe she get liz cheney on this show because she'd have a much tougher time with me than she would with chris wallace i can assure you of that they'd engage in hand-to-hand combat and people died okay liz who died Who died because of the hand-to-hand combat? Only one person died, or is even seriously wounded. But she, in fact, died from the hand-to-hand combat. Ashley Babbitt, an unarmed protester. No police died from the hand-to-hand combat. No police were even seriously injured by this hand-to-hand combat, which mirrored in the violence and in everything else what we saw day in and day out from Democrat partisans under the banner of BLM, For months in 2020, where was she on that? Where is she on the threat to our democracy? The mass intimidation of the American people by Democrat leftists, activists under the BLM banner. Where was she on that? Oh, she was MIA. All her big important principles were just, were were forgotten on that one uh, because that's a difficult fight for a member of the GOP establishment. People look at you funny at the country club if you have a problem with left-wing activist BLM protests, but trashing Trump and trashing the insurrection? Oh, that gets you a pat on the head in Nantucket or wherever Liz Cheney decides to summer. You know, one of the reasons why we have so much more division, it feels, in in our discourse right now is because we're actively being divided. We're being separated. There are the people that are allowed to have their opinions and the people who aren't and they are erased from the public square, which is the internet, by the gatekeepers to the internet, big tech. This is happening every day, it's happening all the time. But I don't just wanna complain about it, it's important to raise awareness about what's happening, but I also want you to take action. And that's why you need a virtual private network. With a virtual private network, you hide your IP address so big tech can't just track everything you do and then sell it all to third parties. You also encrypt your sensitive data so that if hackers do try to get access when you're on public Wi-Fi, you have a layer of protection. The best VPN, virtual private network on the market, is ExpressVPN. With ExpressVPN on your computer, your phone, you just have an app that anonymizes a lot of what you're doing online by hiding your IP address. Remember, your IP address is how people can track everything you're doing. They know it's you. ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your network data as well to protect you from cyber criminals and eavesdroppers. That's also why I, I want you to have this. It covers you on multiple levels, and it's so easy to use. I know I, I know VPN sounds technical. and No, no. Just go right now to expressvpn.com slash buck. You'll be set up in a couple of minutes, and then whenever you have it running, you're protected. This is a must for your devices, for your smartphone, for your laptop, your iPad, whatever you use. Go to expressvpn.com slash buck, and on a one-year deal, you'll get three months free. Expressvpn.com slash buck.
5: Republicans are unified in exposing the radical far left agenda of President Joe Biden and Speaker Pelosi. We want to focus every day on exposing the border crisis, the economic crisis and the national security crisis in the Middle East, because it's having an impact on everyday Americans lives. Our focus is on safely reopening our economy, getting people back to work rather than the incentive being to stay out of work, making sure that we're addressing energy independence. We have the highest gas prices under Joe Biden in over seven years, so we have a unified message that resonates with the American people across the country. Republicans are unified, despite what the media will tell you.
1: Republicans should be unified, and I think they are. I think that what happens here is you get such a focus on the on the Cheney leadership fight just to create the perception of division because it it makes leftists feel better about what's going on in the country right now. All oh, the Republicans are at each other's throats. And it's also a the Liz Cheney part of it is an excuse to constantly revisit the so-called insurrection, which is another reason that they're so focused in on it, because that's that's a place where liberals feel very morally superior. That's a place where the left feels very safe in just showing utter disdain for the other side. You know, it's something that I think we should all keep in mind here. We should all remember that. They will go to that issue as much as they can. They, they need these ideological crutches. They had it for four years with Russia collusion. Anytime Trump had a success, anytime Trump slapped down the corporate media in a way that exposed what a bunch of hacks they are, what was the refrain? Russia! Russia collusion! He's a Russian agent! Treason, treason for Russia! And that's very... Uh, Alluring that that's very appealing to Democrats because they never have to psychologically engage with the reality of Trump being a good president, good at the job overall. And it's also a crutch now with Biden, because we can all see what a clown this guy is, what a failure he is already and is going to be. I'm happy to see, you know, Byron York had a piece that he put out in his uh, newsletter. And Byron's a very smart guy at The Examiner. You have a piece that he put out on how they're not even trying. We keep talking about fixing the border crisis. Democrats don't want to fix it and aren't trying to fix it. They're not trying to stop people from coming into the country this way. That is not their goal. They just try to process them more efficiently so they aren't held in cramped quarters. That's not the same thing. So Biden is running a de facto open border when he's pretending to be shutting it down. This guy is a failure on so many levels already. And yes, the media keeps covering for him. Yes, they're going to pretend that there's something else going on here. But I'm here to remind everybody of what's really happening, what's really going on. And of course, the lib media absolutely hates that. And what they've done is created this psychological crutch for leftists where all you have, this the whole hashtag resistance thing was premised on Trump-Russia collusion. So we have to fight him on everything, no matter what it is. Trump wants to give everybody a million dollars. No, resistance. It didn't matter what it was. I know that was a silly idea, but I'm just saying it was a reflexive hatred of all things Trump. But the justification for that, right, the, the underlying justification was because of Russia collusion, of course we have to uh, oppose everything. You know, and and it's a, a little bit like if, you know, if you're going to go into if if you're supposed to work with somebody in the office, you know, in, in your company, let's say, and that person shakes your hand and says, here's the deal going forward on this. And then you find out that the person betrayed your trust, lied to you and says that you never had that deal. Everything else you do going forward is going to be. Colored by is, is going to be essentially determined by the fact that you look at that and say, I can't trust this person, so I don't care what they say about wanting to work with me going forward. I don't care about, you know, what their ideas are. This person is not someone I should do business with It's not someone I should trust. Now, that would be valid. Imagine if you made that up. Imagine if you were told, oh, this person betrayed your trust, so you can't believe them on anything else. And it was all a lie. That is essentially what the media, the Democrat Party did to the American people when it comes to Donald Trump. It didn't matter what the policy was. It didn't matter what the results of the policies even were because of the Russia collusion lie. That was all you had to know, or at least all you had to believe in, in order to negate and oppose everything else about Trump. Now in order to negate the negation, if you will, of Biden, in order to shut down all critics of Biden, all you have to say is the insurrection, the insurrection. They create a phony moral high ground from which to look down upon and spit upon all Trump supporters once again. This is central to how they do what they do. This is central to the creation of a, of an, a, uh, anti-anti-Biden narrative, right? Those of us that believe in the counter-revolution against the Democrat Marxism right now, we are being told all the time about this insurrection. We say, hold on. I had nothing to do with it. I wasn't there. I didn't support it. I condemned it. And Democrats have little mini insurrections all the time and they praise it on TV. Threatening to burn down a federal courthouse, burning down a police precinct, as they did in Minneapolis, that is a, an act of insurrection, but they don't call it that. They say it's just a protest, mostly peaceful. Sure, sure it is. But the propaganda is going to become more aggressive. It's going to become more fierce in its willingness to lie because what we will see is a deeply incompetent Biden administration with failure, piled the top failure on the domestic level. And certainly on the global level, here's Lindsey Graham, play 10.
5: The one thing that we haven't seen from Joe Biden is a deterrent approach. Is anybody in Russia afraid of hitting us again? The idea of graduating people to go into cybersecurity is not what I was looking for. I was looking for putting the Kremlin on notice that these people live in your backyard. We're going to hold you accountable for their misadventure. I was looking for upping our game in terms of our laws, making cyber attacks like this cyber terrorism, so that the people who did it could be uh, could get you know death. Penalty or life in jail, deterring people. I'm I'm looking for Hamas to be deterred. They're not. I'm looking for Mexico and Central America to stop the onslaught on the border. Everything Biden is touching is going to crap. So the bottom line is there's a piling on effect all over the world because President Biden is showing weakness.
1: Everything Biden is touching is going to crap Lindsey Graham, I don't agree with him all the time. Sometimes I disagree with him a lot. But when he's right, he's right. And this is true. There's nothing you can point to and say, this is a judgment call that Biden has made that has, done, has made everything better. Right? There's nothing you'd point to and say, oh, that's really... Republicans went along with COVID relief in 2020 multiple times on a bipartisan basis. So just telling me, oh, but look at the COVID relief and look at the vaccination program. Those are baked into the cake. That's not Joe Biden's doing this and we said don't do it. But the things where he's actually made a decision that we opposed, it's always crap. It's always bad. You watch this play out, you can see it, you know it. And it's because ultimately what Biden is doing is just providing cover for the more radical left wing agenda of the Democrats. That's what he actually exists to do. That's why he is the puppet, he is the, the puppet, and the puppeteers, the puppet masters in the background, are pushing more radical policies and saying, oh, but look at old man Biden. Oh, here I am, I just, you know, I love unions and the folks, and, you know, I kind of just, just stare blankly into the camera sometimes, and, you know, no joke, folks, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to remember where I am half the time, and, that's How angry can you be at a guy like that? You actually feel sorry for him sometimes. Actually, I do feel sorry for Biden sometimes. You know, He's a guy who's not up for this, and he's in it for four years, folks, and it's going to be a rough four years. It's going to be a rough four years. But the policies around him are really the problem. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, who, you know, yeah, he's a little bit of an establishment rhino type sometimes, but it is what it is. Kevin McCarthy is right about how we're getting... It doesn't matter who the president is right now with the Democrat Party. You're getting the policies of Biden and Pol- i mean, sorry, you're getting the policies of the Democrats overall. So, you, you know, yes, there's Biden, but this is the Pelosiite left in a sense that is pushing all this stuff. Play 12.
7: We've got a lot of work to do in this leadership team. We've got a lot of work to do in this conference. The policies
1: of Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are destroying this nation we got gasoline lines. we got stations that have no gas. we got gasoline in Virginia, $7 a gallon. we got month-over-month month core inflation we have not seen since the 80s. The gas price has not been this high nationally since the last time Joe Biden was in the White House. Now, gas prices are a very effective political tool that Joe Biden, how much effect has he had on gas prices so far? It's not good, though. And it's on his watch, so fair to bring it up. But the hostility that the Democrats have, it's almost a the same way they have a mania about masks. There's a clear, deranged hostility toward fossil fuels, which is just truly bizarre. Um, and that's why when they talk about how they want to get the Green New Deal going and all this stuff, we say, hold on, we actually just need better more efficient, redundant infrastructure to deliver natural gas and oil and the things that actually power our economy and not make decisions like Biden made with the Keystone XL pipeline, where you just make it harder, you make it less efficient, you make it more expensive. This is what he's doing. This is what's happening.
8: Uh, the uh, Hamas is not uh, is not attacking us because they're trying to uh, increase uh, uh, the, the welfare of Palestinians. In fact, they're taking huge sums to build the terror tunnels, which we've uh, uh, been able to neutralize. Uh, to uh, have rockets, missiles, and other armaments, they're not building up Gaza. They're they're doing everything in their power to turn it into a fortified terror camp in order to destroy Israel. And they openly say their goal is to destroy Israel. They're not interested in any kind of uh, uh, any kind Kind of coexistence any kind of uh, uh, the, the kind of peace the four peace treaties that i've made with arab countries that are changing the middle east they're trying everything in their power to avoid the path of peace and reconciliation so uh, i think any any objective observer understands that hamas is out to destroy the state of israel and they're not they're not a partner as far as the, uh, the citizens of israel or arabs I've done more than any other prime minister, and spent billions and billions of dollars in Israeli shekels, uh, in five times more than all the previous governments combined, to ensure the the that our Israeli Arab citizens, all of them, can be Mr. part of the Israeli miracle, the great economic success story.
1: You know the first the first law of or the, or the the first thoughts you should have about foreign policy are who are the bad guys, who are the good guys, do they know the difference, does it matter? Those are the things you just can, as a very basic framework for approaching foreign policy issues. Hamas are the bad guys. I, I don't even care, I don't have to get into and I know all oh, enormous complexity and the historical uh, components of this and and the status of East Jerusalem in 1967 and UN Resolution 242 and UN Resolution 338 and all, all, you could get into this all day long and just endlessly spin your wheels. Hamas is the government of Gaza and it is just like the Taliban was when it was running Afghanistan, an evil, sadistic enemy entity. Period. Hamas are the bad guys. Now that doesn't mean that everything that the good guys do is good. It doesn't mean that there's, you know, nothing to talk about here in terms of how we get to a better future and how we are, you know, bringing people together in the region and all that. No, no, no. I I I want a future Where you have, you know, Israelis able to go about their lives, go about their business, go to the beach, go to cafes, go to work, send their children to school. And, you know, think about uh, a future where there's no rockets raining down on them. And I actually want Palestinians to be able to go about their lives in Gaza without the bloodthirsty monsters of Hamas deciding who they're going to lock up, who they're going to execute You know, and and what fights are going to start with Israel that are specifically meant to immiserate everyone. They offer nothing positive. They just Hamas just gives an just gives an option for people who have a tremendous amount of hatred for Israelis. And by that we mean hatred of Jews. And gives Hamas or rather gives people a way to just vent their rage. You know, that's that's what there's nothing productive, nothing constructive about Hamas. So we can at least have clarity on that. We can at least all be very clear on that, Um, except in this country. Unfortunately, you will hear from some Democrats. The opposite of clarity on that point here is Representative Cori Bush about how she feels about Hamas play eleven.
9: It's what we fund when our government sends our tax dollars to the Israeli military. St. Louis sent me here to save lives. Bassem's loved ones and his community, our St. Louis community, sent me here to save lives. So we that means we oppose our money going to fund militarized policing, occupation, and systems of violent oppression and trauma. We are anti-war, we are anti-occupation, and we are anti-apartheid, period. If this body is looking for something productive to do with $3 million instead of funding a military that polices and kills Palestinians, I have some communities in St. Louis City and in St. Louis County that th- where that money can go, where we desperately need investment, where we are hurting, where we need help. Let us prioritize funding there. Prioritize funding life, not destruction. So today we remember Bassam. We remember his resistance in the face of militarized police occupation as a St. Louis and a, a St. Louis and a Palestinian. We lost him to a health crisis, but we remember his words today. Until all our children are safe, we will continue to fight for our rights in Palestine and in Ferguson. We stand with you in solidarity.
1: Solidarity between. Ferguson and Palestine. What? So, I mean. Other than the geographical, uh, (laughs) the major geographical and religious and ethnic separations that we're talking about here between Ferguson, Missouri and Palestine, and by that she means Gaza, I assume. There is no state of Palestine, as you know. What is this? This leftist victimology connection that's always being made here with the Palestinians. Uh, Our problem is with Hamas, a terrorist organization that needs to be met with lethal force. The IDF is doing that. Why is this confusing to leftists? Harsanyi time, our friend David Harsanyi from National Review uh, in the mix right now. Go to nationalreview.com for his latest. David, let's talk about what's going on in Israel and with Gaza and Hamas right now. I, I want to throw this to you first. Uh, are we really to believe? that the israelis leveled the building that they gave notice of beforehand that the associated press was using as its headquarters the ap claims that they didn't know that hamas was using the building are are they serious what do you make of this
7: uh actually i don't think they're serious i think they knew that hamas was in the building i think it it um hamas has a long history of using journalists and hospitals and kids and, and, you know, civilians as human shields. Um, and AP has had a long history of not reporting on it. So it seems very unlikely to me that they didn't know. You To believe that Israel did that, you'd have to believe they were wantonly destroying buildings or going after journalists, which is simply not the way that they act, no matter how often, uh, you know, mainstream journalists report it that way.
1: David, we, we have this this moment here where it seems very clear, and I've actually, I've, I've looked at and, and even spoken to a leftist or two about the, the way that somehow we're, we're supposed to think that there's any moral equivalency going on here, or we're supposed to focus on the, you know, the left wants to focus on the condemnation of of Israeli overreaction, they keep saying. I mean, I, I, I keep asking this basic question, why did Hamas start sending now th- thousands it's it's over a thousand it's it's probably uh, in the low thousands now of rockets into uh, into uh you know inhabited territory where it could kill children babies old women whoever i mean they're just trying to kill whoever they can hit with these rockets i say well, why do they well, what the latest spasm of violence is over what exactly here from their side and i'm told that the police were a a little too, uh, a little too aggressive at a Palestinian protest. And there's six houses in East Jerusalem that are supposed to be demolished or something. And I want to I want to ask the people making this case. You can't be serious, right? Like, you don't think that firing thousands of rockets in response to that is reasonable. But that's what I'm told.
7: Well, you know, there's a few questions in there. First of all, I can't speak to Hamas's thought process, because I think they're a death cult. And I don't just say that flippantly. I mean, I think they want people to die. I think they want Jews to die. I think they want their own civilians to die um, as martyrs. And so why they start these things that they can't win, I'm not sure. I think they just want the reaction they're getting right now from leftists, basically. Um, no houses were going to be demolished. There was a long-standing case in the courts adjudicated by an independent court over property rights for, uh, I think it was five properties or five houses um, that has been in the courts for almost 50 years. And the decision was going to come down. And, uh, you know, it's just a pretext to start uh, throwing rocks and rioting because it was also coincided with what's called Jerusalem Day, where, where, where Israelis celebrate the reunification of Jerusalem in 1967. Um, that's why this happened. Uh, you know, there are probably underlying reasons why the Palestinian Authority wants to, you know, who just canceled elections, for, you know, Abbas is now in his, I think, 16th year of a four-year term, um, to deflect from that and to, to, to start something like this. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't know that there's any rational reason why Hamas gets involved in these things, but it's, you know, obviously it's very serious. Like you said, I think the rockets are up to 1,600, and they're aimed at civilians. Um, and Israel, you know, people don't like to hear it, but has a right to defend itself like any other uh, sovereign nation.
1: I, I keep telling everybody that, you know, when they they I'll bring this up. And I, I, like I said, whenever I engage leftists on this issue and, and Arab Israeli issues, which is what it used to be referred to as now, I think it's people will say Israeli Palestinian because a lot of it has been decoupled from the broader Arab world, as it actually should be. Uh, it really to think of this as like it's everything hinges all problems. In the Middle East come down to, to Israel on the lack I mean, this is what this was a game that the uh, autocratic Muslim uh, majority regimes in the Arab world were playing for for decades, actually. And I think now that has shifted. So that's that's in the right direction. Uh, but but I, I try to explain to folks and I, I wanted to ask you how the media doesn't get this. I don't care what someone did to or what my ancestors did to somebody else's ancestors, or what happened 50 years ago, or what my government did, or whatever. If someone is pointing a gun at me, and I have a gun, I'm going to use it. If if someone is firing rockets, if somebody were firing rockets into New York City nearby, I would want the you know New York National Guard, or whatever it was, to respond with lethal force to stop the threat. I, I don't care about anything else. It seems like the media can't understand that very basic reality here. There's always this, well, but I don't like what the Israelis are doing.
7: Right. Uh, so on one level, they want to. So on one level, they want to rewind history to 1967, which is, you know, ridiculous. The Israelis were attacked by Jordan and they won a war and they took back territory. And they've offered much of that territory. Initially, they offered it back numerous on numerous occasions for peace and were rebuffed. Um and then it, and let's say they're wrong, as you mentioned. I mean, not that you're saying they're wrong, but let's just say that, that they're wrong. So what does that mean? Does that mean that it's OK to launch 2000 rockets at civilians and that the Israelis shouldn't react? How how would people here want to react? And then, of course, Hamas hides behind civilians and then the, the, the Israelis do what they can. Now, if you really think about it, Hamas essentially lo- is located within a dense civilian area, which is, you know which is a war crime, basically. So Israel, with quite a bunch of, not not to say they never, there were never civilians hurt or killed, but the amount is very low when you consider that almost all of Hamas's military grade equipment is hidden within schools, among civilians, et cetera, in hospitals. I'm not sure. I always want to know what is Israel supposed to do about this? Just let them shoot rockets, shoot them down. We didn't have the iron if they didn't have the iron dome there. What would have, what would happen? You know, how many civilians would be dead? Did you so see the
1: Washington Post piece, by the way, that referred to the iron dome as problematic?
7: Yeah. Yeah. Because you know why? Because that, you know, it, the Palestinians aren't strong enough. And that's the sort of they transpose this idea they have about strength, meaning simply because you're stronger doesn't mean that you're morally wrong terror uh, we were stronger than al-qaeda didn't make al-qaeda right but yet this is you know and then they transpose the color stuff on there it's just simply not how it works israel's many jews from arab nations who were kicked out in 1948 as well it's not a color thing in israel it's a much more complicated situation. yeah there are
1: ethiopian jews i i i met some and and talked to them when i was visiting uh, jerusalem many years ago i mean you know, the the, the the complexity of that situation also and, and the way that the, you know, the way that we in this country are told to think about this. And we're speaking to David uh, Harsanyi, who is at NationalReview.com, about what's going on right now with Israel and Gaza. Um, I prefer to say it that way because people say Israel and Palestine and there there is no country of Palestine. So this is not a nation to nation issue in that in that way. But I I also see, and, and this, this keeps coming up, David, there's a desire. I mean, we, we had uh, we've got Cori Bush, for example, who talks about Ferguson and Gaza and the connections therein. And I sit here and I'm just like, this is this is just like a fabrication of the leftist mind. What are they even talking about?
7: Well, that's not a fair question. I don't know what they're talking about. I, I will tell you this. I know that from Karl Marx on, um, the left has had a problem with Jews and the, in the, in the 1970s, the PLO, when it was just a full blown terrorist organization, uh, you know, made common cause with left or leftist uh, terrorist group, made common cause with them. Leftist nations made common cause with them. The Soviets sent weapons to all Israel's enemies. It's not new. Um, I think they view Israelis as colonizers there, even though the towns they're talking about have Hebrew names from before Jesus's birth. And, uh, and they just... You know, sometimes they want to talk about history and sometimes they don't. Well, Jews have been there for, th- for thousands of years. I'm not saying it was filled with Jews, but there's been a continuous Jewish presence there. They have, a, they have a historical claim to that land. Now, how it's divided up and stuff like that, that has to be worked out. But the idea that, they sh- that they're that they colonizers there, which is how the left typically portrays them, is just historically absurd. And also, as you mentioned before, kind of irrelevant at this point. The wars are over and they were lost by the Arab nations.
1: Yeah, well, this is where I get to the the selective application of history to justify transfers and wealth and pow- wealth and power today. You know, if, if I wanted to go into uh, if I wanted to go into, you know, international court and sue Algeria and Tunisia for enslaving my ancestors, which it, this is something that's not even really talked about ever, but it was reality and it was happening to people in Western Europe, it was happening actually in the early days. We fought our first foreign war, folks, to the shores of Tripoli because of this issue. Everyone would say, well, I mean, no one in Tunisia is going to start writing checks to you or start apologizing to you because you know, 300 years ago they were taking, or you know, 200 plus years ago, they were taking people uh, off of American and British ships and enslaving them and everything. I mean, we could tell Turkey that they have to give they have to give back all of uh, all of uh, what was Constantinople, to, you know, you you go through these historical uh, moments in time. And you say, "Look, we have got to deal with the world as it is today," and it just feels like there's this intransigence that that comes to the fore to the forefront with particularly the Palestinian issue, where they're just not willing to live in reality. I guess I mean that's that's really what it feels like here. And when you have that mentality, you're willing to embrace things like mass violence against civilians, which, I mean, we're talking about David the Rockets now. I remember when I started studying this issue and I, I worked at the Washington Institute for Dennis Ross, who was Clinton's peace negotiator in the Clinton administration. And, I mean, the, the Hamas was sending people into crowded pizzerias and discotheques with, you know, shrapnel bombs on them and blowing up everybody. And they thought that was resistance. So, I mean, I'm with you that it's a death cult. I guess that what what sits in my head is I can't really understand Why is the media ever confused about this in this country I'm talking about?
7: Well, I don't know. I'm again, I'm not sure why, but I think it has to do with, you know, viewing Israelis as colonizers, as, you know, Westerners, things like that. But, you know, just going back to a couple of things you mentioned, one is I will believe that this isn't about the Jewish people when I see coverage of the hundreds or at least scores of other. Uh, ethnic minorities in this world who are just as numerous as Palestinians who don't have a nation, the Kurds, let's say, or, you know, or when they start talking about the Hungarian minority in Transylvania, which it doesn't have its own nation or whatever, they don't. There are 40, I, I believe it could be more 40 full time, uh, like AP reporters, I think, in Israel and, and Gaza and West Bank covering it. How many people are covering the Kurds in Iran. How many people are covering the Muslim minorities in China who are in concentration camps? How many? Maybe one, two. I don't even know. And um, so there's that imbalance. And you know, and the history is all wrong too. By the way, you know, they make it sound like you know Jews came in there and just you know took everyone's home and took the land. No, they were willing to to, to abide by the UN partition plan. And I think six Arab countries attacked, and they won that. You know, they won that war. And again, in 67, they won that war. Again, in 73, I don't understand what they think this is. This isn't tenant. You can't rewind history and go back and live, you know, live in the past simply because you lost wars you started. This is the new reality. Um, It's the reality all over the world. And for some reason, Israel is supposed to live by different rules than any other country lives when it's, you know, dealing with terrorism and dealing with uh, potentially a mini-terror state on its border. I mean, I don't understand it. People want— Israel to give Hamas a state? Do they want to give P- P- the PA a state so when it has an election, Hamas takes over? I mean, what What then? Then Israel has to invade this country constantly. It's just, it's not a tenable plan.
1: David, just before we let you go, how much of this do you think is tied to the the, the, the Biden administration versus just this was a tinderbox that Hamas lit the match once again?
7: Hmm. I think that, uh, I think Biden has been better to some extent than Obama would have been or was, in my opinion. Um, but I think part of it is 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 Iran also is part of this. You know, I mean, I, I don't know where they get these rockets from, but it's probably Iran where they get the parts and, and, and things to put it together. So um, and then they opened up the funding to the PA. So, I mean, that I think, uh, you know, in some sense, they were probably testing Biden. But I think Abbas is pretty incompetent. So I doubt he planned it to be this big of a deal. I think he was just maybe trying to push the Biden administration into, you know, starting talks again for for the state etc and then it just blew up but that's just my theory
1: david will be writing on this this week at nationalreview.com check out david harsanyi's latest there david thanks so
7: much anytime thank you
10: the israeli government has evolved over the years into a pretty strong right-wing government and their coalition now includes people who are overt racists And when you have the United States of America, Ali, putting almost $4 billion a year into Israel, we have the right to demand that they respect the human rights of all people, including the Palestinians. What we need now is an even-handed policy which protects the security of Israel. They have a right, right to live in peace and security without terrorist attacks. But the people in the Palestinian territories also have a right to live in peace and dignity. And anyone who takes a look at what's going on in Gaza right now, where youth unemployment is 70%, and I'm talking about before this current war and the terrible things that have happened in the war, where youth unemployment is sky high, where people can't get electricity and clean water on a regular basis. This is a territory controlled by Israel. So we got to deal with the corruption of the Palestinian Authority, we got to deal with that, but we have also got to create a situation where the people in the Palestinian territories are respected as well.
1: How are we going to do any of that? I mean, I know I let you—you you had to listen to that whole thing with
8: Bernie Sanders, we had an even-handed approach. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. How do we do any of that?
1: Well, what does he really think our capability is here? We're going to make the Palestinian Authority not corrupt, or even try to push them toward that. Mm, good luck with that. I think this is fascinating because you hear these things and it sounds okay. I mean, look, he agrees at least that you know Bernie Sanders is is an American, is is a Jewish American, and and you'd think that he would have uh, understanding and appreciation for what's going on in Israel right now. I, I just though I, I try to note that he says all this stuff. Um, he says all this stuff, and and you say, okay, well, so what do we do? What are we supposed to what what is America's position in all this role in all of this? You know, I mean ultimately this is an issue for Israeli security and the security and, and the safety of the Israeli people and attacking and dealing with an enemy, which Hamas is an enemy, it's an enemy combatant. And you have these very desperate circumstances that that result from all these dynamics when the West Bank and the Gaza. Strip or in Gaza. And why is it so messed up there? You have to ask that question. What is leading to this? If, for example, Gazans did not elect Hamas, if they had people in place who were willing to negotiate in good faith with the Israelis about return of territory that Israelis have talked about many times and offered many times in the past, wouldn't things get a lot better? Uh, there, there, there are some fundamental problems here, fundamental disconnects. From unfortunately, I think from reality on the Palestinian side, uh, and that is meaning the, the the cold hard realities of you're not going back to 1967 borders. Uh, you're you're not about to have the dissolution of the Israeli state. You know, no one's coming along to kick Israel into the sea. It's not happening. You know, Hamas tells everybody that's going to happen. And they're not interested in coexistence. They're not ex- interested in making anything uh, better for people, and so. You know, this is just the Israelis are dealing with it. This will end soon. And then it'll be up to the Palestinian people. To try to create a better future. That's really what they you know, we're not going to do it, is my point of what Bernie Sanders says. And America's not fixing this.
0: The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for Roll Call.
8: First,
1: check it in on our buddy producer Mark. How are you? How was your weekend? How's everything going? How's Mrs. Mark?
11: Everything's going well. I'd say we're about ninety-five uh, percent done packing. You know, just the last bit of stuff—toothbrushes and the like. Will we have left?
1: All right. Did, did you did you close? No.
11: I mean, this is taking forever. Uh, so you're I'm all done. packed. Basically, and you we're know all where packed. You're moving. We know where we're moving. We just have to, you know, close sign the papers, move in, all that stuff.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let us let us know how it goes. You watch anything new and fun this weekend?
11: Uh yeah, the uh, NHL playoffs started this weekend. That was fun.
1: Who who, who is uh, who are the top contenders?
11: Uh there's I mean every team's a contender in the NHL. It's not like uh, some other sports where you know who's going to win the beginning of the year. The NHL, you have no clue. I'd say uh I'd say the Avalanche, the Colorado Avalanche are my pick.
1: I'll tell you, I had never heard of that team before. Really? So That's incredible. that is a new thing I learned today.
11: You didn't even know there was a team in Colorado, did you?
1: Yeah, I, I did it's not one of our
11: biggest that. market, I'm sure. We've I markets, know, our
1: wonderful know. Denver audience listens, and they, they probably think, Buck, how could you not know about the Colorado Avalanche? But uh, now I do. It is an avalanche of knowledge, friends, on the Buck Sexton Show every day. So yeah, sometimes I, I the I avalanche hits stuff. me. Sometimes I push it to other people, so. Learning something new. All right, let's get to it. A guy named King. Wait, is that really his name?
11: That's the name he gave in Roll Call.
1: That's kind of an awesome name, isn't it?
11: Yeah, I would like to be named King. Sure, why not?
1: That would be cool. I've never met anyone named King before. That's, I mean, you got you to gotta be bold uh, if that's your name. But I'm getting the sense from a quick scan of this Roll Call producer mark that our, that our friend Mr. King is, in fact, quite bold. I think that's I think that's fair to say. As I was listening to today's show, I heard you devote quite a few minutes to discussing nudity (laughs) before roll call. The reason why I'm writing to you today is because I am a nudist and I listen to your show. It sounds to me like your neighbor was just enjoying life while being naked. Of course, I'm not going to endorse any criminal criminal activity that he was doing, but it doesn't sound like he was involved in any just getting some sun. Nudist principles hold that there's nothing wrong with the nude human body, and so arbitrarily mandating that people covering the body is just as wrong as mandating that people wear a mask to protect against the virus. Nudism is not about seeing people naked or being seen naked, but enjoying life while being nude. Even though you may have a stereotype of nudists in your head, nudists are all over the spectrum, including politically, and there are many nudist parks in red states. They may even listen to your show already. There are many nudists who are supporters of MAGA, as nudists are all shape, sizes, and colors. There are at least six nude groups in New York. Florida has 33, in addition to plenty of nude beaches that are available. If you went to one of the resorts in the U.S., you'd be surprised how many conservatives are there and how many people want to listen to your show. Your show can reach more nudists, too. You have reached me, and I want to let you know that you did a good, great job discussing nudism today. You do a great job in general. I am in Florida, and I am a MAGA nudist. Well, first of all, let me say, King, thank you for writing in with one of our favorite roll calls we've had in quite some time. Um, And and I want to be very clear. I was not passing any judgment on nudism or nudity uh, or nudists. I just happened to catch a guy who was on his rooftop and it was a private section. So I don't believe I'm not. I never said he was breaking any laws or anything and I could barely see him from where I was. I said it might have he might have been in a in a kind of beige mankini, if you will. But then he turned around. I said, oh, I think he's got it. And I look, it was sunny in New York and he's enjoying it. Yeah, I've got uh I, you know, I'm sure I have nude t- nudist team buck followers. We got we got all kinds of team buck folks out there, and uh, you know, as long as they're in line with applicable local statutes, I mean, fine. You know, you want to get out there and you want to you want to go naked. Remember what wasn't Snapple's uh, motto for a while? Go naked.
11: Yeah, because I think they were organic and were saying no sugar or anything. Right. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. they had a lot of sugar, but well, yeah, they but no, they like didn't have high fructose okay, corn
1: syrup or something, right? Do you yes. remember that? They'll go naked. Wasn't that the uh, the it, slogan for sample? It sounds Snapple?
11: familiar. Yeah, I think that's what it was.
1: Or it might have been some other beverage company. That was one thing that in the 90s, I will say, I think Mark and I have talked about this before, but there was an acceptance of drinking like 60 grams of sugar in a 12-ounce in a beverage or something that was just terrible. You know, sugary drinks really overtook the world, I feel like, in the 80s and the 90s. And then people started to realize this is not this is not good. This is not a good thing for you. So
11: Snapple is a very New York thing though. I know. Yeah. So other I people know. outside of the outside of New York will be might be like what is a Snapple?
1: Oh, you mean it's you mean it's not known in other parts of the country? Yeah,
11: like I I used to live in Florida when I was a child and there was no such thing or it was harder to find. Like you know how in every supermarket, every 7-Eleven there's a whole Snapple section, maybe there's like a row.
1: What is the weird what is the weird soda that you would bring back into common into common usage if you could? Weird soda? Yeah, like 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 you know random soda. I mean, you know what? Tab, Dr. Um, Dr Pepper, you know these things.
11: I would say my favorite that isn't commonly which I would never commonly drink it because it's full of sugar and it's not commonly produced anymore is Mountain Dew Code Red.
1: I knew you were yes. going to see Mountain Dew. I no, knew no, no. it.
11: The code red one is the Cherry Mountain Dew, which is delicious. Terrible for you. You could taste the sugar, but it's delicious.
1: I've never had or even seen this. So
11: It's, it's basically Mountain Dew, but red.
1: I mean, you're ordering like a, you know, like a, like a creamsicle Shasta or something here. Like I've never even, I've never even heard of this. Mountain Dew, though, I, I went through a phase where I drank a little Mountain Dew. You know what? Actually, I, rem- I used to go to a summer camp. Uh, for years and years and years when I was a kid and we would believe it or not we would go they would get like the cheapest tickets possible we'd be in the absolute top row and they'd send you know 30 or 40 campers uh, at a time to like a Mets game so I went to a few Mets games growing up and I remember drinking RC Cola and it was like a hot day and and you know I just remember thinking RC Cola was the best stuff ever do you remember this
11: I don't remember the Mets having RC Cola. I remember them being Pepsi for the longest time.
1: Oh, yeah. No, So I'm, I'm considerably older than you and that you could get RC Cola, which I don't even know if that exists anymore. Oh. But I also think it's funny. Do you realize that other people and we're about to we're about to, you know, get into a big fight here with a big chunk of our audience. But do you realize that in a lot of the rest of the country, they call it pop. Yes. What is this? What is this pop of which they speak?
11: Or a grinder is a sub in other parts of the country.
1: I mean, I've, I've actually, I guess I have heard that, yes. but I didn't. But I mean, if you go to, I'm pretty sure if you go to, you know, uh, Georgia or Ohio, and they call it pop. And it's just, what is soda? They probably yeah. make fun of us Northeasterners, though, if we're going, soda. Yeah, I'm going to drink some soda. It's a little weird when you say it out loud enough times, but they call it pop is my dad. I don't know. I don't think you call soda pop, but then I guess, I guess there's soda pop. So. Yeah. I mean, if you, you,
11: if you come to New York and visit, don't order a pop. I think that'd be my advice.
1: Yes, that's, that's
11: I don't know what you're going to get. You never know what you're going to get, depending on what part of New York City you're in. That's true, too.
1: All right. We'll continue on with call. Co- anyway, for, for my MAGA nudists out there, I just want to say honored to have you in the Freedom Hut. And when you listen to this show, if you want to listen buck naked, go for it. Don't don't think that that's ever a problem because this is audio, baby. So you do whatever you want.
11: I have a question for the COVID, about COVID and the nudists. What's that? Did the nudist resorts make people wear masks? So was there like a sign, genitals, okay, masks required?
1: It's almost like, it's almost, if you were a nudist and you had to wear a mask, it would be, almost it would kind of look like you had put your thong in the wrong place. You know what I mean?
11: Exactly. I'm just curious if that that was enforced at resorts where you're allowed to be nude. Mm. That's an interesting one.
1: That's, I don't know. That's what we call a thinker, producer Mark. That's a, that's a stumper, a thinker. All right, uh, Scott. Great hour on mask hysteria, Buck and Mark. With Biden as president, should we expect those suffering from mass PTSD to be eligible for social security disability checks? Scott, I mean, I, I know what you're saying here, and I've got to tell you the answer is no. Uh, but I know you're not really asking; it's rhetorical. And I'll just say this: mask PTSD. It is a very real thing, and I'm just so excited that uh, I think it looks like. Uh, where are we in New York on masks, Mark? As of Wednesday, they're saying, do we know exactly? Am I going to be able to walk out of my building without a mask on on Wednesday?
11: Uh, yes, I believe so, according to Governor Cuomo. As of Wednesday, everything gone other than public transportation, hospitals, and schools.
1: Okay. All right. That's, that's a step. Uh, that's better. a step. Yeah. All right. Eric, here we go. Writing up next year. I wish more people would take time to learn about the fall of the Roman Republic. I recently listened to Dan Carlin's hardcore history on the subject. I like him as a historian. His analysis of current events blaze betrays his leftist slant. Sadly, there are many parallels to our current state of affairs. Some corrupt courts, elections being bought, mobs used for politically motivated violence, collusion among politicians to consolidate their power to use against the people a generation of young people who disdain their history and their elders, unsustainable economic policies, the squashing of political adversaries, and so on. And here we are repeating the same mistakes that were made 2,100 years ago. Uh, I can tell you, I read a pretty good book on this years ago called uh, How Rome Fell by Adrian Goldsworthy, who's clearly a leftist, but it's a, it's a good enough book, enough history in it that I think it's worth it anyway. Not a lot of... You can find plenty of conservative uh and it's so weird isn't it that historians even have to be thought of in this way but it's true you could find plenty of good world war ii historians who are conservative in their outlook and and also you can find a fair number of conservative history uh, historians of the american revolutionary period um but beyond that you know, you, you get a, a lot of leftists, a lot of leftist historians I'm just telling you the truth. That's where it is. Uh, so as for Dan Carlin's hardcore history, I, one or two of them I thought were pretty good. It's a little long. Mm, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not as, you know, I like doing, I like history. Po- See, I was listening to history podcasts before Dan Carlin came along. So I listened to some of the enthusiast history podcasts from way back in the day, early on in podcasting. Carlin, though, I appreciate that he popularized history as a as a uh, and yes, I know Siege of Malta. Let's not talk about it. I got it. I got a migraine over the weekend. Otherwise, I was going to do it. It's going to happen. But uh, Carlin, you know, some of the stuff is really good. Some of the stuff I haven't liked as much, let's be honest with you. But, you know, that's my opinion, man. And he's been very successful. And I like overall that someone's doing history stuff and some of it has been really good. Uh, Aaron, hey, Buck, want to get your thoughts on the Colonial uh, Pipeline ransomware attack. How can the U.S. government not hold the Russian government accountable for harboring cyber terrorists? Is this similar to Taliban harboring Al Qaeda in Afghanistan? Obviously not the same devastation, but still an impact on our home front. What's the best way to respond? I appreciate your insights. Aaron, you ask a very good question. Uh, you ask a very good question. I don't know. Uh, what the what the answer is to it and that there's no clear, straightforward response that one can offer. Um, I don't think that it's fair to say that Russia and this hacker group is inherently like the Taliban and Al-Qaeda because the Taliban were a symbiotic organism with Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda was funding and, and working directly hand in glove with the Taliban at the time of 9-11. And, uh, you know, we don't know... If this hacker collective or whatever is working at the behest of the Russian government or just Russia turns a the Russian government turns a blind eye to it. But then the I think the even more complicated part of the question, which you're asking is what is proportional response? And really, what you start to get to is to have a proportional response, what you'd have to do is start holding governments responsible. And therefore, we shut down, you know, the power grid or something in a part of Russia and. Now you start to get at well, what does escalation of that look like, and also does the American government, you know, we don't, we won't actively punish civilians through military strikes on purpose, right? We won't, we don't do that, but, or at least, we, you know, we don't intend to do that. If you start shutting down through cyber attacks critical infrastructure in foreign countries, even in a reprisal, aren't you punishing civilians for the? actions of their government there's there's very interesting philosophical questions this raises and i don't think anyone's really worked out the answers yet aaron so good question that we'll continue to think about here all right continuing on with roll call here marcial writes in book please tell producer mark to not insult seven-time all-star dom dimaggio member of the red sox hall of fame who would have had a shot at Cooperstown if he hadn't served in the Navy for three years during World War II. Sure, he was no Joe, but he was much better than the oldest brother, Vince, who only made two all-star teams. Marcial dropping baseball bombs on producer Mark's doorstep. Producer Mark, how doth you respond?
11: I have one question for you, Buck, first. Do you know what Cooperstown means?
1: I know where the Baseball Hall all of right. Fame is, just, you wise guy, all right? Just
11: making sure. I mean, yes, I I understand Dom DiMaggio was a human being. He was a baseball player, but he, he wasn't Joe DiMaggio. That was what I was saying to you the other day.
1: I mean, seven-time All-Star, though, producer, Mark. But
11: he's still not the DiMaggio you think of when you say the name DiMaggio.
1: But, I mean, is this kind of like saying well, Scotty Pippen's not a great player because he's Complete, not Michael Jordan. It's like, Scotty Pippen might be the best two-man of all time ever in the NBA.
11: If it was Michael Jordan and Scotty Jordan, which Jordan would you think of? Mm, That's my I point. See,
1: I see your point. Yeah. Okay.
11: Andre. Hi, team. CNN
1: seems to be backpedaling with their frenzied COVID lingo. It's no coincidence when you note the dive in their viewership. News is a business, and they're trying to recapture their customers. The sheep! Shields high. Yeah, Andre, at CNN, you know, CNN's a bad place with bad people. So, <laughs> other than just to tell you the absolute truth about CNN, bad place, bad people, and it's a shame, but that's, the, that's where it is. So, I wish I could tell you something else was going on there, but... It is not. And team, that's going to be it for today. Although i got one here. Hey, Buck, I love your show. Your particular sense of humor it's refreshing. Just heard the comment about Subarus and how the average blue state voter may have one. I love my Subaru and I'm extremely conservative. It's a sturdy vehicle with high mileage, but I stupidly wrecked it. I'll buy another one. Take care and shield high. Ja, thank you for writing in. I know not all to team Buck Subaru. We love you. I know not all Subarus are owned by leftists. Just mostly. That's it for today's show, everybody. Back tomorrow, Shields High.